Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is February the 5th, 2012. It's a Tuesday, and even though it's a Tuesday, we're going to do a listener feedback show. Um, I don't want to get out of the habit of doing the feedback shows and the uh, call-in shows every week. I think there's some people that have skipped over them in the past, and you, this is what I usually hear from a listener when they, they say, well, I usually skip the feedback shows or the call-in shows or both. Uh, I didn't think I would enjoy them, and then one day I was bored, so I listened to one, and now they're one of my favorite things about the show altogether. So if that's you and you were thinking of skipping this when you heard that it's a feedback show, give it a shot. You just might like it. Uh, yesterday, of course, I preempted the schedule to bring Rob Gray on it to talk about the IRAs. I'm going to do a little follow-up on that today as part of feedback because a lot of feedback came in about that, including some, I think, which indicates to me that some people do not comprehend um, what the recommendations were really all about yesterday. And I have some more things to say about IRAs and 401ks in general today as far as government getting their greedy little freaking hands in the pie. And there's no doubt that... Uh, that all of those fat-ass, lazy old senators and congressmen are up there right now sniffing the crust of the 401k pie and trying to figure out exactly where they can pick a hole in the crust and stick their finger and get some. They're not going to get it all. It's not possible. There are some avenues I think they'll take. And as you uh, as you consider that and as you worry about it, remember who told you they were going to do it three years ago when everybody said they'll never do it. Me. So I just might have some insight as to how they'll do it, because I've thought about the repercussions of all the ways that they could do it. Anyway, before we get into your feedback on that and many other things today, we have a very varied uh, assortment of topics to discuss today. Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today is Western Botanicals. Hey, I believe that nature basically provides humans everything that we need to live a long, healthy, and happy life. I'm not against modern medicine in and of itself, and I think there's times and places for it. I always say this, if uh, I ever get a, in a wreck and I have a yield sign of my spleen or I ever collapse to the floor and I'm in the middle of cardiac arrest, please take me to an emergency room. But if I have a runny nose, the last thing I want to do is take uh, some kind of uh, harsh chemical over-the-counter or prescription medication. If I, uh, if I have a sore, achy back, I'd rather take turmeric for that than some type of uh, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And when I'm looking for things like turmeric and other herbs and gentle treatments to either uh, to either improve my health day to day or to deal with a minor acute situation, I always go to Western Botanicals first. And if I don't know what I need, I pick up the phone, I call them, and they help me, and they tell me what I need, and they help me make a good decision. And they're real honest people. And in the supplements world, it's hard to find because everybody has something that cures cancer, uh, builds a lightsaber, fights off the Death Star, and uh, makes everybody well all the time. And, of course, none of that stuff's ever true. But Western Botanicals will be honest with you about the limitations of natural uh, treatments and what will work best for you. And they provide top-quality stuff that is always either uh, wild-crafted or organically grown. And if you're a member Support Brigade member, they give you a free year of their premium membership that costs everybody else who gets it 50 bucks. So that alone will pay for your entire member Support Brigade membership. More on MSB in just a second. Next up today, HarvestEating.com, the awesome chef Keith Snow, who will help you learn to make cooking a life skill and teaches you how to cook seasonally and locally. 
Chef Keith just relocated to Montana. He is going to have a tremendous amount of new information and new material coming out on his website. I suggest you get over there and subscribe. Subscribe to his podcast as well. Uh, pick up some of his seasoning. My two favorites are uh, the uh, Northern Italian and the, uh, I would say, the uh, Montreal Steak Seasoning. And uh, actually, I'm leaving out one that's really awesome because I haven't been doing a lot of barbecuing lately. And that's the Low and Slow Barbecue. Those are all awesome. Check them out today, harvesteating.com. Next up, I want to remind you guys, we just did the launch of TSP Mint. Orders are still coming in. Uh, we're heading for 7,000 ounces of the Ant Shield coins. Uh, honestly, I don't know how many of those we're going to run in total. At some point, we will stop running them and move to a new design and make them a limited edition. So get them while you can. And uh, remember, MSB, you guys get a discount at TSP Mint. TSP Gear, good stuff there. We have some really cool new stuff came out. The Revolution is Brewing t-shirts that are kind of playing on a coffee design. The new TSP mugs are out, and they are awesome. Check them out. Indestructible, basically, is what the new French press mugs are with hidden compartment. There's a lot of other cool stuff there. Uh, check it out today, tspgear.com, and check out uh, 13skills.com. We are growing over there every day, a little at a time. We could use your help, and we just put out a call. If you are doing anything with 13 Skills, and you have made any progress, and you have documented it in a forum post, in a Flickr slideshow, I don't care what it is. If it's online and we can link to it and show it to people, we want to start doing a feature a day on the 13 Skills blog. Just send your link and a little information about what you're doing to skillgirl at 13skills.com. Skillgirl at 13skills.com. That will go to Dorothy. She is the web mistress, not webmaster of 13skills.com. She's the one running that community. And your correspondent should always go to her for that. Again, skillgirl at 13skills.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode, and you'll get tons of great discounts. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service, and first responders like paramedics. If you email me before you join, the email address for everybody, not just first responders, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. That is my real email address, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. For those of you in different parts of the country where you say it differently, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. And put service discount in the subject line. I will uh, send you a discount code. Please do this before you join. If you do it after you join, it's a real pain in the butt, and I'll make you wait until you renew to get your discount. All right, with that, I do have everything wrapped up. I want to uh, start off, though, with something that uh, sometimes I throw in the intro, but it's two resources that I really want to recommend that you consider getting involved with, especially if you want to start connecting with people at a deeper level, more than just being friends on Facebook and what have you. The first is our forum. If you get to the Survival Podcast Forum and you start posting there and reading and connecting with people, uh, soon you'll find that there's regional boards, and next thing you know, you'll probably be having coffee with somebody somewhere, if that's what you really want to do. Now, don't go in there today and say, I want to meet everybody right now and, and be shocked if nobody, you know, take some time, form a relationship, just like if, you know, this is how forums are. I don't care if it's my forum or any forum. If you went to a Chamber of Commerce meeting and you were an insurance salesman, You wouldn't walk in there and before you met anybody, formed any relationships, helped anybody else out, said, hey, everybody buy my stuff, you would walk in and start, you know, kind of learning the rules, the social scene and, and what have you, and, and eventually you, people would want to do business with you. I know you're not selling insurance when you go to TSP form. You better not be. But that's kind of the approach to take in any form. Get in there, get to know the lay of the land, start forming some relationships, and people will want 
to connect with you. The other one, and this is really a great resource that I don't talk about enough. It needs to be better utilized. Our TSP Zello channel. If you go to Zello.com, Z-E-L-L-O.com, and you, uh, you download the Zello app for your smartphone or your computer or what have you, and then you look up our channel and just search for the Survival Podcast Network, you'll find a, an incredibly great core of people that are on there almost all the time, people that drop in and out, and people that really, really, really look after each other. I'm talking about when people move, other members of the group are in constant contact with them and you know tracking their progress to make sure nothing happens to them when they move. That That's the level that I've seen of people looking out after each other. People, uh, We just had one of our, our main moderators on the Zello channel, Shorty, make a move across the country from Texas to Tennessee. And another member flew in to help him move because he's a disabled vet that deals with some things. That doesn't just happen anywhere, and it doesn't happen everywhere for sure. That's the kind of thing that goes on with our Zello channel. Again, just search for the Survival Podcast Network for words on Zello, and you'll find us. You want to connect directly with us on Zello and, and, and find us real quick. And you can do this for a lot of things like Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all that stuff. If you go to the survivalpodcast.com, right in the top of the, the center banner or the center margin, you'll see a thing that says connect with TSP and you'll see all the different ways you can connect with me and other members of the community there. I just want to throw that out because again, I know it's something that gets underutilized. Now I want to move into a lot of feedback about the IRA show yesterday. Okay. So I got a lot of comments and emails telling me why Individual retirement accounts, IRAs, are a bad idea. Why you shouldn't do it, why you should stay away from it, why it's a horrible idea. Don't put your money there, especially silver. Okay, And I just go, have you listened to me for the past four years or not? I have always said that I am not in favor of physical metal in an IRA. Yet we did a show about it yesterday. So just to be clear, which I thought we were abundantly clear. I thought Rob was abundantly clear in this. I am not suggesting that you go set up an individual retirement account tomorrow and start putting precious metals into it. If you have money outside of an IRA right now and you want silver with it, I want you to go buy your silver. I want you to get a secure location for it. I want you to put your silver there and I want you to sit on it. I want you to keep your mouth shut about it. That's what I want you to do. We did that show for people that have an IRA all freaking ready and do not wish to cash it out and pay interest and penalties at this time. I'm not even saying you shouldn't do that. There are situations with certain amounts of money in certain places where you may wish to take an early distribution, pay the man, and get your money free and clear and do what you want to with it. That is your business. This is a middle road. The type of self-directed IRA we talked about yesterday takes the management of your IRA into your own hands and lets you take physical assets and put them in a place where you can physically touch them. It is a middle ground. It is the best solution I've ever heard to this problem. I don't like my IRA, but I don't want to pay the man. Okay, it's a it's a halfway exit in my view because now I got more control and it makes it easier for me to take a distribution if I want to early. And yes, I can still. Well, if you poo that, you're going to pay interest. Yes, and I'm still going to pay interest and penalties if some guy named Schneider up in Manhattan is managing my account. Okay, so it does. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And if you, if the, those of you who are so blockheaded about this that you want to fight this thing that we tried to, to help people with, don't waste my time. I, I'm sorry to rant. I really am. Maybe I'm a little bit short from all of the stress of moving and everything else. But the reality is I don't get it. I don't get how some of you are so, you got your, your panties in such a wad that, that you can't walk straight 
over something that isn't being told, hey, go do this. It's be, it was brought to the audience by a tremendous number of requests, by the way, of what do I do if I'm stuck and I don't want to fully exit? That's what it was. That's what it is. Let's, though, talk about the concern that people have. The concern that people have is that the federal government is looking at, and Rob gave out the number yesterday, in IRAs there's over a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars. Let me say it again. A trillion dollars. It's almost as much money as the government takes in taxes every year in one place. It's not really in one place, but it is. It's all in one type of vehicle. When you add 401ks and all of the different deferred retirement accounts, it's an even bigger number. It's trillions of dollars. Trillions with an S. Okay? So, the government wants to stick their hands into this money, and they're trying to figure out how they can do it. Um, there is a lot of buzz right now. Uh, there's an article on Bloomberg right now that was just sent to me that's just one example of the, of the greedy, fat, little pot-belly maniac politicians that think everything is theirs and how they can get their finger through the crust and into the IRA. 401k, 4013b, all deferred retirement accounts. They want something from it. They set it up. They made a promise. Gee, they want to break it. What a surprise. This is why people are concerned. Again, if you're not going to, with the thing yesterday, if you're not going to exit your IRA and you move to a self-managed style IRA, you have more control. I, I, I don't understand some of you guys. I really don't. And it's, I know it's a handful and I shouldn't be beating up on everybody and I'm not. But some of you guys, you're just blockheaded. You just don't want to, I don't get it. Anyway, but listen to this pile of crap on Bloomberg. And I'm not putting Bloomberg down for it. They're just covering it. The U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is weighing whether it should take on a role in helping Americans manage, listen to the number, the 9.4 trillion They have put into retirement savings, a move that would be the agency's first foray into in consumer investments. Quote, that's one of the things we've been exploring and are interested in in terms of whether we have the what of what weather and what authority we have. Bureau Director Richard Cordray said in an interview he didn't provide additional details. He doesn't know if he has the authority, but, you know, we're looking into it anyway. <laughs> Ain't that great? The Bureau's core concern is that many Americans, notably those from the retiring baby boom generation, may fall prey to financial scams. Hmm, what's the biggest financial scam in America today? Social Security? Did I say that? Yes, it's the biggest financial scam in America today. Let me tell you why, real quick here as an aside. If you take 10% of your money and you put it into solid, conservative, safe investments from the time you're, say, 18 till the time you're 65, The average American with a moderate working age retires a millionaire. If they wait until they're 70 to retire, they would retire a multimillionaire. Average projections I've seen range from 3.5 to 5.5 million dollars. If it's consistent and right through the average working American middle income lifestyle, 70 years old, three and a half to five and a half million dollars. Okay? Alright, so. What do we get with Social Security? Well, you end up putting away more than 10% because you pay about 65 your employer pays 65 you end up putting around 13% in for your entire working life. 
your entire working life and you get to retire, you know, just above the poverty level instead of as a multimillionaire. So it's even when it works, biggest financial scam in America. I digress though. Let's go back because they're concerned. They don't want you scammed. You know, they're the government. They're here to help you. Um, Uh, let me reread that, that one sentence that set me off. There, the Bureau's core concern is that many Americans, notably those from the retiring baby boom generation, may fall prey to financial scams, according to three people briefed on the CFPB's deliberations who asked not to be named because the matter is still under discussion. Still, they'll talk about taking your money, but they don't want you to, t they don't want anybody to tell you who they are. The retirement savings business is, in the U.S. is dominated by a group of companies that handle record keeping and management of investments in tax-advantaged vehicles like 401Ks, plans, individual retirement accounts. The groups include Fidelity, J.P. Morgan Chase, Charles Schwab, T. Rowe Price Group, and Americans held $19.4 trillion in retirement assets of September 30th, 2012, according to the Investment Company Institute, an industry associated with about $3.5 trillion of that was in 401Ks. So of the 19.4 trillion in retirement assets, four or 3.5 are in uh, uh, 401k plans. I would venture there's probably half that in 4013bs, probably a tenth of that in thrifts, probably about the same amount. I'm guessing here, guys, in conventional and and Roth IRAs, and probably two percent of that from Rob's number yesterday in self-directed IRAs. And probably three or four or five percent in SEP programs, which is another type of IRA. The Security and Exchange Commission and Department of Labor are the main regulators of U.S. retirement savings vehicles and funds. However, the Consumer Bureau, established in 20, by the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act, sees itself as a potential catalyst for promoting a coherent policy across the government. People said. So let me give you the non-bullshit Jack Spearco version of that. The Department of Labor are the main regulators of U.S. retirement savings bills. However, the Consumer Bureau that was established in 2010 to do certain things sees itself as doing things it wasn't established to do. So a Department of Government was established to do a limited function and now sees itself as being required and obligated to do even more. Gee, how does government get so big? Rollover moment. With large numbers of Americans heading toward retirement the coming decade, the CFPB has referred internally to this concept as the rollover moment. Mark Calabria, Director of Financial Regulation, studies at the Cato Institute, a research group that promotes free markets, said the Dodd-Frank Act didn't specifically give the Consumer Bureau jurisdiction over investments. It could step in if other agencies don't. In other words, somebody has to do it. Somebody has to step in and worry about all this money that people save for themselves and now are entitled to take out. Right? You are not smart enough, Mr. American, who busted your ass and has a $1.5 million 401k plan. You are not smart enough to manage your own money. You need consumer protections. How about this? How about you stay away from America's money? The government, you've already taken enough. Anyway, um, The basic premise of this, and I'll, I'll link to the article today if you want to read it, is that they're worried that you won't be able to manage your money once you take it out of your 401k. So there's certain rules that say you have to start taking certain distributions at a certain time, uh, and at some point you have to move it all out, and they have to force, and they'll force you to basically take money out of some accounts. Some accounts you can leave it in almost forever, etc. But at some point there's going to be a massive amount of rollover, and here's another rollover moment they're not mentioning. A lot of people 
are going to be officially, legitimately retiring from the companies they work for with these 401ks. They're not going to leave that in a 401k at that point. You only have the 401k because you're with the employer and forced to, uh, to, to, to participate in the plan. As soon as you get out of an employer, anybody with a brain wants to immediately move into an IRA because even a conventional or a Roth, if it was a Roth 401k with conventional management, unlike what we talked about yesterday, has tremendously larger options than you do in a 401k where you have five or six funds. This is their concern. What they've already done, like check this out, guys. I already figured this out years ago, and I've been telling you about this for years. They've already manipulated the 401k market and taken away the ability for you to have like a money market fund or a cash fund in most 401ks. It just magically just appeared like a fart in the wind one day. And it was replaced with a high-quality bond fund, which is U.S. government bonds. See, when it was a money market account, money market accounts are generally held in like 90-day government bonds. Short-term, quick turnover bonds. That's just one way some of the cash is, and that's how they give you a point of interest or a half a point of interest on your money market. Uh, with the short-term paper. That doesn't help the Fed with the Ponzi scheme of, of managing the rollover of the debt. They need people in longer-term bonds, so they quietly went in and manipulated the system, and all of the safe money, all of the money when people are scared and they put their money into something safe now, a huge vat of that, trillions of dollars, flows into bond funds, primarily U.S. debt instruments, federal bonds, so it goes to the federal government's loan, okay, and state and municipal bonds. That's what makes these funds up. I analyzed over a hundred of them sent to you, sent to me by you guys, and that's what I determined. Seventy percent or more of that money is going into federal bonds. The balance of the thirty percent, most of it is going into like state bonds and high quality municipal bonds. In other words, cities that aren't about to go broke. So all of the safe money is actually being lent to the government in the 401ks already. They already have the money. They just want more of it. That was step one. Now, step two, this is their concern. Americans, when they start that baby boom basketball going through the, the garden hose, and that's, if you look at the retirement of the baby boom, this is what it looked like, like, like a garden hose with a basketball flowing through it. The basketball started to go through the funnel, and they've started to, to retire. And it's going to compound and get faster and faster and faster. All of those people leaving employment that have a job are going to roll over 401s to IRAs, and they're not going to be trapped into this market anymore. So what the government has to do now is convince older people, seniors, especially young seniors who are wealthy and entering retirement, that you need their help. And they're going to try to change the structure of IRAs and 401ks to push more and more money into U.S. government debt. They don't have to steal your money with taxes as long as they can force you to lend it back to them. They'll take it with a tax. They'll take it with a loan. They don't give a shit how they get your money. So what they're going to start doing, this is what they're going to do. I, I, this is my best guess at what they're going to do. They're going to create a special new IRA. This will be step one. It will only be available to people 55 and older or 45 and older or 50 and older. It will be sold to you under the guise of saving Social Security and making sure that seniors have something for themselves. It will offer some sort of special advantages and it will offer a government-backed guarantee of a portion of the money, say 25%. Okay? 
The key will be the way you're going to get a government-backed guarantee of 25% of your IRA is all that money is going to be loaned to the government in a bond fund of some sort or with direct U.S. treasuries. That will create, when you loan the government money and they give you a bond, you have the backing. Now, anybody out there right now with an IRA could already do this for themselves. They'll throw some other Fruit Loops and Twinkies on top of it to make it look yummy. And they'll sell it to older Americans exclusively. They may open it up to certain government employees earlier on. What will happen is the American sheeple are so dumbed down and so stupid, they will beg to be let in. They'll say, why don't we get to do this? Why is it just for older Americans? Why is it just for government employees? Why is it just for, why can't we have this too? They won't force it with a steel fist. They'll shove it up your ass with a velvet glove. That's one more stage of taking and getting their hands on this retirement money. You people that think they're just going to swing a switch overnight and go in and seize it are nuts. Okay, First, they need the economy to run too and it will destroy the economy. There's, there's another theory that what the government will say, and this is in The Eagle Has Crashed, a novel by an author, I can't remember his name, but I had him on the show. That what the government will do as a stopgap measure is tax all the money in the 401ks, effectively converting them all to Roths. So all the conventional 401ks, conventional IRAs, they'll just say, you know what, we need 30% of your money right now, pay us, and we're going to do it whether you like it or not. And then we'll take that money and we'll fix the problem in government with it because it's trillions of dollars. We can do all kinds of creative things with that money and stimulate things to make it better. And then you don't have to pay taxes when you withdraw. Basically, we're going to do a one-time, across-the-board conversion to a Roth. Do you know why that won't work? Okay. There's $19.4 trillion there. Roths are relatively new. Let's say $4 trillions in Roths, and there's $15 trillion roughly in these conventional assets. So they want to take, let's say, 30% of $15 trillion. What does that do? Well, it would raise for the government in one fail swoop, $4.5 trillion. And they would tell you it's good for you. right? This is why people have this theory. But government is not as stupid as we think they are. They really aren't. And I want to ask you what would happen if the stock market was forced to endure a single week sell-off of $4.5 trillion. See, to get the money out of the accounts, people have to sell the stocks, the mutual funds, the bond funds. Everything that's being held in there has to be sold so that it can be converted to cash and paid to the government. Unless, and this is the way to pull this off, this is the only way to pull this off, they take receivership of your assets and they liquidate and sell them as they see fit, which would give them also the power to manipulate the market. That's something that could happen someday. That's a stage three or four. The economy has to literally be on the cusp of explosion or implosion more accurately. Like it's going to happen next week for them to risk this play. Because it literally would risk about 50 million Americans going to Washington, D.C. and pulling the government officials into the streets and hanging them from monuments. It, it, that's the level of reaction that they would get. It's much easier to leave you keep your, believe you're holding your money and force you to loan it to them. Now, this is the other thing I think they have planned. Eventually, to change the structure of IRAs, 401ks, etc., to a new format, 
that gives everybody this government-backed security. Okay, They will not do it with the money you already have in your 401k and IRA. They will not do it by force. It doesn't make sense. The people are too stupid to make the risk. Whenever you do anything in business or government, you do it with a risk-reward ratio. And you also do it with the, the concept of what do I want. And what the government wants is as much of this money flowing as tax dollars and as much of this money flowing as debt to them as they can get. So is there an easier way to do that? Yes, and I just gave it to you. The new, super-duper, improved, guaranteed by the government retirement account with an absolute guarantee. Every dollar you put in, the government backs 25% or 30% of it. Oh, you know what? How about this? You can pick. We believe in a free market. We believe in freedom of choice, ladies and gentlemen. So you can have a 25% back account or a 50% back account. Which one would you prefer, ma'am, sir? How about thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of financial liars. Did I say that? I meant financial advisors going into companies, corporations around America to talk about changes to your 401k plan. And you can either leave your existing plan where it is and just establish a new one, or you have this great opportunity to roll it in right now at no cost to you. And you can choose a 25% guarantee or a 50% guarantee. Which would you prefer? <laughs> That's a fancy saying of how much government debt do you want to buy. Now, let's do the math here. Let's say that, and, and, and again, when you first launch this, you make it exclusive. It's just for one batch or one group of people. Okay? So only certain people can get this. Then the masses scream, we want it to. All the, the financial rags, all the financial magazines tell you how great it would be if only you could have it. People salivate and beg for it. Now, let's say the market continues this increase in value, which I believe that it will. I believe the stock market will. And this is where the government has to be careful. They're going to have to wean you into the bonds. right? See, this is the other thing. They can't just take all the money and push it into bonds. The first thing they want to do is take all the money that's already in bonds and put it in a new classification of bond that locks it in there. Okay, it, They have the same problem. Even if it all stays in 401k accounts, if half of the money, half of the 19 trillion, call it, 20 trillion, $10 trillion liquidates stocks and goes to bonds in the government, yet a government gets $10 trillion, but what happens to the stock market? You're looking at the Dow at like 800. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at S&P at like 5. Right? I mean, you, you, you just slaughter the market. So it has to be over time, and they have to create this influx of new money. See, this is the problem. People are so worried that somebody's going to come take something, you don't think it out. The people in charge are playing three-dimensional chess, and we're still sitting around on our asses playing checkers, and we're not even good at checkers. That's what's going on. They can't just seize the money. They can't just force it into bonds. They can't just tax it. Every single one of those actions implodes the economy that's already fragile. And they want the illusion of a growing economy. So they create a growing economy and they start funneling your contributions. And they wean over time so that the market can absorb the exit. The exit's coming anyway, okay? The exit's coming, and this is the big thing, right? I, I warned you about this in 2008. A, a aggravating circumstances to the end stage of the U.S. economy in the next decade 
is that as this, these baby boomers leave, not only are they rolling to IRAs and managing their money and starting to withdraw money, but they're starting to withdraw money regularly. My father-in-law gets, right, basically gets a check from himself from his retirement account every month for about $1,100. And he can continue to do that until he's about 98 years old. Okay, so he figures he'll be dead by then. That's how he picked the number. I should be dead by then, and that's enough. What happens when it's millions and tens and 20 and 30 million baby boomers all having that money come out every month? That kind of, It adds up. It's shocking, but it does. 30 million people all taking a couple grand a month out of the market adds up. So it's already coming out. Now, a lot of older people are paying themselves this money as a distribution because they have a required distribution schedule to follow, and they don't need it. They actually have set themselves up to live okay. So they're saving it. And they're saving it in bank accounts. So this is, this is the low-hanging fruit. This is where you start. This is where you offer the new super-duper, government-backed, and old people trust the government more than young people. So you start there and you sell this to people. And you grandfather the old accounts, and eventually 90% or more of the money exits anyway. Now listen. Listen to this. Let's say the, the, the value of 401ks is total as it grows over the next two years, goes to 30 trillion instead of 19 trillion. And with a 50% or a 25% option in the new super duper plan, you're able to capture an aggregate average of 30% of the market into government federal debt instruments. It's 10 trillion dollars in new debt. 10 trillion. And it's enough to fund rolling over the debt for another decade. As long as they get some control on spending. Not a lot, just a little bit. The big fear, right? You, gotta, you want to understand somebody's actions, you got to understand their fear. The government's biggest danger, their biggest fear right now, is that the debt that they're carrying, not they can't service it because they, they can print their own money to do it. It's that when it comes time to term and it needs to be rolled over, the Chinese, the British, the little old ladies, everybody will exit their positions. They need a guaranteed rollover. That makes the other investors comfortable and they're more likely to roll over. This is a way over the next few years to siphon between five and ten trillion dollars of new money in the government debt. This is how they'll do it because it's more strategic and it makes more sense and instead of fighting it, People will fight to get it. This is how the government manipulates you. Look at the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. And some of you people are so moronic, you still think it was a good thing. We have people going out of business and laying people off and cutting people's hours and doing all types of things just to survive Obamacare. And some of you morons still think it's a good idea. Do you know what I said? Do you know what I said before it was on the floor, when they were just talking about it, before we even had a bill that we couldn't read because they voted on it before we had time to read it? Before that, this is what I said. This is almost an exact quote. The Obamacare Act will pass. They'll make a big dog and pony show about fighting it, but it doesn't matter. It's going to pass. It is not designed to solve problems. It's designed to make the problem worse. When they remove the government option, they're doing so with full knowledge. That five to ten years down the road, the people will scream and beg for a government option. No one will be able to afford health care. No employer will be able to afford health care. And all resistance in a meaningful level, let's say so 60% want it or more of the people, will go away. Because people will say, give us whatever works. We don't care anymore. You want to, you, we don't care. 
We need to be able to afford this. It was designed to fail and put people out of business. And it was. Why? That's the strategic way. You can't get what you want done. You set up a system that creates a problem so devastating that it drives people to beg for what you were trying to force them into in the first place. This is how you do this. This is the plan for your 401k. This is the plan for your IRA. They can't seize it. They can't tax it. They can't do it because if they do, they're shooting themselves in the head while they chop off your hand. I'm not saying they're not willing to chop your hand off. I'm telling you they're not willing to shoot themselves in the head. There it is. There's the truth. I went long with that. It's like over half the show uh, on a normal timeline. But it's very important that you understand this because this is coming. They will continue to sell it to you. And you'll see in the end that even if I don't get it 100% spot on, the basic formula for how this is going to be maneuvered and manipulated, this is what they're going to do. And I know you can go listen to all these financial guys out there right now. None of them are telling you what I'm telling you. I bet you can't find me one person that's telling you or has said this stuff before I said it. They all have their own theories, and most of these people in these financial news sectors, financial podcasts, whatever, they sell something. They want to scare you so you'll liquidate and buy whatever they sell. Please contrast that with yesterday when Rob said, if you want an IRA and you want to keep it in there, you don't want to pay the penalties, here's how to set it up. By the way, I don't get a dime if you do. In fact, you want to buy my silver? You could. It's a gray area. I really wouldn't do that. I'd buy eagles for this. Buy silver for me for everything else. This is what you get here versus what you get everywhere else. The truth, because I'm not falsely motivated, and I'm, a lot of these people don't even think they're wrong. They don't even think they're lying to you folks. They're, they're, they have such an agenda that they're jaded by their agenda to a point where they see things and connect dots that don't need to be connected. Again, if you want to understand the way that another party is going to act, be it the government or your next-door neighbor, the first thing to understand is what do they fear most. Fear is the driving force of those in power. Okay, Those in power over other people. All right, Courage is the driving force of people that are in power over their own lives and do not wish to control others. There's only two main dynamics that people act from, from a control standpoint. Courage, individual control of yourself. Fear, control of others. As long as you're trying to control others, you have to worry about how they respond. So you have to react in fear. You have to think, what if, what if, what if, what if. When you're only worried about controlling yourself and you don't care what other people do as long as they don't harm you or hurt you or infringe upon you, then you can act with courage. If you understand that, all of this gets so simple. And if you don't understand that, then you become subject to the very manipulation that you're trying to avoid. And those of you that are afraid that if you get a safe and put silver in your home, the government will seize your silver... Please do me a favor. Never say something like from my cold dead heads, hands about your gun again. Think about how those two don't justify with each other. Or if you do say that, then use your gun to defend your silver if it ever comes to it. Let's go ahead and take uh, some other feedback and see if I can get some other stuff for you guys today. I didn't expect to go that long, but as I'm explaining this, I realize how complex it is and what a big threat it is to our future. And there's nothing you can, if you're going to write me and say, how do we stop this? You don't participate in it. You're not going to stop it. I'm telling you, the average American is so dumbed down and so stupid, if you put what I just told you one hour a day on network television for a month, 
95% of people still won't recognize it when it shows up and still won't believe what I told you, in spite of the fact that if you start really checking into it, it all checks out. Let's see what else we got today. Oh, here's something good. Um, here's an email to me from uh, Jeff at the Free State Project for Liberty Forum 2012. We ran a contest, remember? Uh, people could donate up to 10 bucks. And uh, if they donated 10 bucks or more to any charity, not to Free State Project, and sent their receipt to Free State Project, Free State Project put them in a drawing, and there were three winners. Um, and here we go. The Free State Project TSP contest winners have been picked and notified. Each winner was also explicitly, was also explicitly asked if it was okay to list uh, their first name and location, and each said yes. One also gave permission to use their forum name. The winners are Ben from South Carolina, Deborah from Massachusetts, forum name Frugal Fanny. I know Deb. She was there last year. That's great. She's going to have dinner with Dorothy and me. Ed from Massachusetts. In total, more than $4,800 was donated to various causes with 29 people participating. Thank you again for supporting the Free State Project all year and supporting the contest. Glad to hear that you're settling into your new homestead. Anyway, so uh, 29 people at $4,800 is about $165 ahead. And a contest where people were asked to donate 10 bucks. Um, that's not 100% more. That's not 200% more. I, I don't even want to do the math. It's like, you know, 1000% more than the minimum. And it says something about libertarians. Libertarians are very generous people. We're not greedy people that want to keep all our money the way that we're made out to be. It's just that we don't think that the government is doing the best job that could be done with shepherding the, the investment that we're making in our fellow man. We'd rather have choice over how, where, and whom to make those uh, those contributions and investments in. So I think this is the big thing. I think in a, in a libertarian mindset, charity is an investment, right? In the government mindset, charity is we take your money at the point of the gun and give it to whoever we decide based on the programs that give us what we most want uh, as far as controlling the, the entire world. That's, that's, that's the goal of government. Redistribution for the purpose of control. Where libertarians say, I'm willing to give a lot of what I have. I'm willing to give as much as I possibly can, as long as I can still take care of myself and my family, so I'm not a burden on somebody else. But when I do that, I see that as an investment. And that means that when I look at who I'm going to give that money to, my first question is, is this the best use of my money? Is this the best place for this dollar at this time, or is there somebody that's more worth my investment That doesn't mean for the purpose of receiving a dividend or buying controlling interest in a company. I don't mean it like that. I mean an investment. I mean if I donate money to a place that's helping children develop uh, skills so that they can become valued members of our workforce, that makes things better for everybody, and that investment has paid off. Even if I don't get a direct return, I feel good about the fact that I know this worked. And if I'm giving money to a place like that, and I go down there and I visit the place, and they're not doing a good job with my money, even if it's only five bucks, I can give that five bucks to somebody else. And I think when we're given the opportunity to help people that way, we always come through in a big way. So I'd like to say for all 29 of you guys, hope to see everybody there that played. I uh, hope you're coming anyway, even if you didn't win. And uh, thank you for demonstrating the generosity of libertarians. Here's just kind of a funny, interesting one. Somebody sent this to me. It's, um, it, it's a... Uh, a Reddit article 
And uh, it's, it is, what is the most insignificant, it's actually just a question on Reddit with uh, comments, and there's um, 11,965 comments on uh, this little Reddit thing. And Reddit's like, for those that don't know, it's like a little social media thing. You can put articles and links to other places in there, or you can just like talk within the community and ask questions, and it gets voted up, and it's more likely to be seen if it gets a lot of upvotes and less likely if it gets downvotes. Anyway, it's got 2,201 upvotes, so it got lots of visibility and got lots of comments, and the top 200 comments are shown. And the question is, what is the most insignificant amount of power you've seen get to someone's head? The number one thing people bring up, homeowners associations. Um It's, it's, I'm just going to read a couple of them. Head of a homeowners association. And then the next one, the most difficult to appease group I've ever dealt with, the architectural view committee of my HOA. Uh, next person says, yeah, because what normal person gives an F about his neighbor's painting of his fence or putting up an unregulated shed? It's just about BS, superiority complex, filled with the retirees and people who bosses give them hell at work. In my experience, HOAs, Homeowners associations in general. In Schenectady, New York, a school maintenance man named Steve works his way. The ranks 30 years until he's finally in charge of the maintenance department. That's when he starts messing with his employees. So I had to go that far. I was reading them in order. That was the, that was the first one that was not an HOA. Uh, HOA. HOA. Uh, HOA. It's just crazy. It's true. And it's why I say you don't belong in an HOA. I have done enough rants that I'm not going to do another one today on HOAs, especially after the, the bulk of the show was already tied up with, uh, 401ks. But, um, I did have a few people email me after our last rant and say, well, 401 or HOAs can be okay. HOAs do this and HOAs do that. And, you know, if you don't like it, get involved. This is the thing you don't get. I don't want to be involved in an HOA. I do, this is what I said earlier about 401ks. When you want to control other people, your primary driving force is fear. And when you only want to drive your, control yourself, your primarily, primary driving force is courage. People that live their life in courage are willing to leave other people alone unless their rights are infringed upon. And your neighbor's fence being a color you don't like is not infringing upon your right of anything. This is the reality about HOAs. This is who HOAs are for. HOAs are for people who think, you know what, we have a federal government that costs us $3 trillion a year, that gives us all sorts of laws, regulations, and does all sorts of things that they shouldn't even be doing because the Constitution doesn't give them the power to do it that have overstepped their boundaries. We have a state government that refuses to stand up to the federal government, and, and that state government should, has all these constitutional reasons to be telling the federal government to back off, and instead they pile on and they do even more. On top of that, we have a county government that seeks many ways to get money from us and, and tells us many things we can and cannot do it. And then we have a local government, and the county and the local and the state governments have all of these code enforcement agencies and all of these different things that say how high a fence can be, where a pool can be built, where it can't be built, how close one house can be built to another, how big a freaking house can be based on the lot size, how many windows a house has to have, all kinds of crap that we have to do. And you know what? That's not good enough. I need more government. I need more government. I need somebody else telling me more things I can't do and telling me how to do things in the way that is right for me because I can't make a decision in my own life. I, this is where HOAs are for people. You can't plan your own freaking life, but you want to plan somebody else's. That's why this was the number one response to this on Reddit because people are fed up. 
All I can say for those of you to keep defending HOAs, if you choose to live in one, the misery you get is of your own choice. I would never, ever live within the confines of an HOA. Um, and I think if you do, you are allowing yet another layer of government on your life. And if you call yourself a libertarian and do that, man, I, I just don't get it. Now look, if there, listen, look, how could it, how could something like a community governance like an HOA work? If there wasn't a state government, there wasn't a county government, there wasn't a federal government, and there wasn't a local government, and collectively they weren't sucking about, you know, six, seven trillion dollars a year out of the hands of Americans everywhere, if those things didn't exist, or if they were very small, like they're supposed to be, and people said, you know what, we want our community to be a certain way, and you wanted to put that into place, maybe I could understand. But when we already have so many laws, nobody even knows what they are. You people that want more government in your lives, you people are sick. I'm sorry, you are. Let's take another one. Uh, Brent from Prince, Prince Edward Island, uh, who's always emailing me, uh, cool stuff, says, Massive green peppers from Mexico are on sale here in PEI for a dollar a pound. Save seeds, attached picture, long. Our winter produce has shipped, shipped in is abysmal at best, but these are nice. I thought you addressed this in a past episode, and I think you said peppers would not be GMO, but they may have cross-pollinated with other peppers. I brought about 20 pounds of peppers, which is 25 peppers at this size. I'm flash-freezing and dehydrating. I was dumpster-diving my compost after a few beers, saving seeds. You can, you can, you, you, yeah, you can read that part. But as you say, try it out. What do you have to lose? If you have an episode number, that would be great. I already did a search, couldn't find anything. I'll just answer that because this is a question I get all the time. Can I save seeds from produce at markets? The idea that you're going to have a genetically modified pepper right now is almost infinitesimally stupid. Five years from now, it may be different. But right now, you're buying a pepper. It's not GMO. The seed companies like Monsanto with the GMO patents, they want to own the grain market. That's where the big money is. That's the trillions-dollar market Green peppers is a much smaller market. So they're not putting their focus there yet until they have total control over corn and soy and, 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 and cotton and, and, and rice. That's what they want. They want complete control there. They want control of wheat, but they haven't been able to get GMO in the wheat yet. Uh, they've done it, but they haven't rolled it out yet because they got so much pushback, but eventually they will. And that's what they want control of first. So that's not the problem. The problem isn't even that peppers would cross-pollinate. Cross-pollination in peppers, unless you do it, is a very minimal issue of concern. Peppers have a perfect flower, so they, they're self-pollinating uh, very much so. And you see a lot of bees and stuff on peppers, but not anywhere the way you do on like squashes and things like that. So it's, it's a moderate concern, if at all. And if you save enough seeds from enough plants... Yeah, you might get one or two from time to time that don't produce what you're expecting, but the majority of your pepper plants will be fine. The problem is hybridization. When you look at a pepper from a market, that's the, and these pepper pictures that Brent sent are huge. I mean, these are, these are peppers anybody would be proud of. They're massive. They're like softball-sized, beautiful peppers. There's a 99.99% chance that they are a hybrid. In fact, I would say it's almost 100. Right? I mean, it's maybe... 29s after the, the decimal point, uh, the one millionth of one percent of one chance that these are some kind of an heirloom pepper out of Mexico. It, it ain't likely, um, especially with the uniformity of them and everything. They look like a hybrid variety. So what happens is if you save that seed, it's not going to produce true to type. You can do it, and you'll probably have to grow about seven plants 
for every one that will produce true to type. You could try it, you have nothing to lose, and if you do it long, if you keep saving seeds from the plants that do produce, and you do it long enough, you'll come up with what basically turns out to be a new heirloom. Um, that's how every heirloom seed ever created came to be. Saving and replanting and saving and replanting and selective saving. And it takes, in general, about seven generations of that or seven years to come up with a new seed strain that's very, very reliable in producing true to type. Some hybrids, it don't ever happen. Some you can do a little bit faster. I've seen some hybrids, you plant them and, and you get 80% true to type. And, and, you know, so you can try it, Brent, and anybody else that wants to do it can try it, but don't do it with the production you're going to rely on. You know, if you want to start doing creative things like this, cross-pollination on purpose, making your own hybrids, trying to come up with new heirlooms, all that stuff, create a test bed, you know, area that you can afford to not produce and you'll be okay with it. And those of us that have big gardens, it's not a big deal. We all, you know, we, we tend to always produce more than we could use anyway. We tend to always end up filling up bags and give them to, 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 to neighbors and things like that. So it's, it's worth trying. But just if you are, if you are a square foot gardener with two four foot by four foot beds in your first year, don't do this. Because you're wanting as much production as you can get out of the limited space that you have. If you have a big garden and you want to block off some space to do this with, It's interesting and fun, and you know, let other people know your results. Here's a good question that dovetails right into um, all the talk we've had recently about silver and gold. My question is, how do you actually spend silver or gold? I have been considering investing in silver, but the last time I checked, nobody accepts silver as a form of payments for anything I have ever paid for in a grid-down society. That would be the price. What would be the price of silver? Right now, I can easily Google the price and know exactly how would one barter the price of silver without getting screwed? Thanks, Jack. Here's the thing. First, let's look at the, the grid down scenario. If the grid goes down tomorrow, and I don't just mean the electric grid, I mean, the, let's say the, the infrastructure grid that supports society drops tomorrow. The first response is going to be basically denial. People are going to say everything's swell, everything's fine, and when they're hungry a day later and nothing's coming back, the anger phase is what Chris Dwayne calls it. People will start snapping out. There'll be riots. There'll be people, you know, without rule of law in some areas, oppressive rule of law in other areas. While that's going on, you ain't going to be trading a lot of silver. You really aren't. That phase is relatively swift in any society that breaks down, though, because at some point you have to start working with other people Or you run out of people to parasite off of because the people that you, you parasited off of run out. They don't have much anyway. They're the weak people. And the strong people start killing your ass. So sooner or later, society kind of stabilizes even in uh, an apocalyptic setting. It's like a stable apocalypse, if you, if you could imagine such a thing. And this even happened during the Balkan Wars where walking down Main Street would bring sniper fire. People still bartered. Okay, so don't say it doesn't happen because everywhere it ever has happened, this has been the result. In that stage, the market will set the price. How much, how much, um, bread will you get for a tenth of an ounce of silver? Depends on how hungry you are and how much bread there is. Economies always stabilize. Now, why would you want to look up the price of silver in a grid down scenario anyway 
when the dollar ratio would be meaningless because the obviously if you're spending silver in a barter environment because you have to, the dollar's already worthless. So who cares if it's five dollars an ounce or five million dollars an ounce at that point? You care how much do you have and how much do you need and what can you afford? That's how every economy works. And whenever you try to like tell an economy where it should be, you're acting like our government, and it never works. And the market always self-corrects. If you want to know the real value of stocks and bonds today, price them in 1950 in ounces of silver and gold, and price them today in ounces of silver and gold, and you'll find out it ain't what it says. Just because it says the Dow hit 14k doesn't mean that's really what happened. So gold and silver always show us the truth in the end, and they would not be very useful in the first segment of breakdown. It would be in the second and third phases as society reconstitutes itself and commerce is restored. But the bigger question, and the one that wasn't really asked, but the more important one is, how do I spend silver and gold right now? The biggest thing you can do if you want to start working with others and exchanging goods and services for silver and gold, dun 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 dun, ask: Will you take silver? Will you take gold? And unless you're at Walmart or Sears or Publix or Albertsons or paying your electric bill to the state electrical authority or something like that, if you're dealing with privately owned companies, small businesses, many times the answer will be I can't do that. Hell no. And many times the answer will be absolutely. And many times the answer will be you know what I can take silver. For my services, and I require cash for my products. So a plumber that's a privately owned company, not Benjamin Franklin, not there's anything wrong with them. In fact, we just used them because we didn't know a local guy to use yet. Okay, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with using it, but they're, they're not going to do it, not yet anyway. I mean, there's we're moving toward the possibility with this opening up a lot more, but there's a lot of work to be done yet. But if you call Joe's Plumbing and he comes over to your house. And he has to put $75 worth of parts in your house, and he charges a margin of 25%. That's $100, bucks, right, roughly. And he says, okay, parts are $100. Bucks. Uh, I charge $70 an hour. It took me two hours to do the job. It's $140, bucks, right? So you owe me $240, all right, reasonable plumber. And you say, well, would you take silver? He might say, you know what, I'll take it for the labor. So he might actually do a mathematical calculation, or he might say, hey, you know what, um, I'll take... Uh, Four ounces, four and a half ounces, five, whatever he says for the service, and then I gotta have a hundred bucks for the materials, and I'll just bill you for the materials, and you know I won't, I won't, I won't bill you quote unquote for the service. We'll just exchange that. Now, is that technically under the table? IRS would want to know about it. You don't tell them. Yeah, but do they really need to know? Do you really think they have visibility into that? I mean, you got to make your own decisions. What and should you report it? Yeah, but you know who should report it in that instance? Joe, the plumber. She reported. He received the money. It's not your problem. It's up to him what he does with his finances, and I'm not going to ask, right? So the receiver of the silver is the one that is in it because you haven't exchanged it for cash. You've just bartered it, and when you barter it out, you know technically if you got more than you paid for it, but really, I mean, do you really want to? Okay, I can only say so much there, but you got to start thinking for yourself. But the number one way. To do business in silver and gold is to ask the party on the other side, will you take silver or gold for some or all of this transaction? There's a lot of ways to do it. 
There's a lot of ways to be creative about it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be advertised to anybody that that's what you've done. I will leave it at that. But yes, it, the, the, the big objection to, that a lot of people give to preppers holding silver and gold is during a breakdown and there's no food, nobody's going to want gold, they're going to want bread. Yes, but for how long? You have to, again, understand, and I've talked about this before, so I'll be short with it today. The reason money was created in the first place is because two parties in a barter situation tend to often not have exactly what the other party wants. I have bread. You have cheese. You also have bread. I want cheese. You don't want any more bread. You got lots of bread. So I go, I'll give you bread for cheese. And you go, I'm sorry, I don't need any more bread. What else you got? I got all I got. So they invented this stuff called money. Initially, it was probably things like a spear point. It was anything that's divisible and doesn't spoil over time, that has inherent value that can be traded for something else later. And then it was brought to uh, fruition that a commonality like silver and gold and denominated weights was very easy for people to calculate. And that's how, it, and, and even dollars or pesos or great British pounds or euros work this way. It's the same thing. There's really nothing different about it. All money actually derives its value from the economy in which it circulates and its scarcity or abundance thereof. It's that simple. So U.S. dollars don't really derive their value from the U.S. government backing it. That's what gives people the confidence to use it. But in the end, it's how many dollars circulate, how big is the economy, and prices modulate and fluctuate based on availability. In other words, in the early stages of an economy, a loaf of bread is going to cost a buttload of silver. As that economy evolves, the price will moderate as commerce begins to be restored. So store enough stuff to make your own bread so you're not using your silver for that. But day-to-day -day use, private commerce, and you want to empower yourself to be able to do business in silver and gold, ask. And if you think about it, it's how I do business with the MSB where I take silver from you. Okay, I ask you to spend silver with me. I give you an incentive. You can pay 50 bucks a year or an ounce a year. An ounce is less than 50 bucks. I like silver to get some of you, and it's probably 5% total to pay with silver. I have to give that incentive or it doesn't show up. But I'll take an ounce of silver a year for MSB. Why? It's easy to do. It's a service. It's much easier to take silver and gold for a service than for a product because I have to replace the product with a hard cost behind it. So... But then there's other products that land themselves to this. A lot of the stuff that gets traded with silver that's product is agriculturally based. A farmer that has a surplus of beef, right? I've, I've sold enough to the conventional market, to the organic place, to all these other places that I need to to make my budget work for next year. I've got some extra money. I've recouped all my investments from this year, and I have a profit. I have surplus beef. Well, I take silver for that? You bet your butt I will. But I'm going to have to kind of make my nut first and make sure that I have enough to cover the operational expenses in currency. Or I'm going to have to take silver at an exchange ratio to dollars with the knowledge that I'm going to convert it. Right? And that's kind of a pain in the butt, and that's why most people would prefer cash. But as soon as you get past the money people have to have to the money people want to have, they become very receptive if you'll just ask. That's my suggestion. Okay, here's my final piece for you guys uh, today. I'm just going to read it to you, and then I'm going to give you my thoughts on it. And this is a story um, on Google. 
and uh, it, it's uh, it, it's pretty interesting. Actually, the source that was sent to me was a, a Google uh, a mobile reprint or something, but I've actually tracked down the original source, uh, CNBC, who we all know are not my favorite people, but I actually agree with some of this. And some of you are going to wonder why, and then I'm going to tell you, and then you're going to go from happy to sad, uh, but maybe still say a little bit happy because of the opportunity it may represent. We're And we're back. Dow, 14,000 fuels a new wealth boom. The next American wealth boom has officially begun. It may not feel like it for many Americans, but with the Dow breaching 14,000, by the way, it was under 14,000 today already, shareholders and investors have recovered more than $8 trillion in wealth loss during the recession and have attained levels of paper wealth that haven't been seen since the roaring aughts. The roaring aughts 2000, 2003, okay. The stock market has gone from wealth destroyer to the nation's largest manufacturer of new millionaires and billionaires. The market moves are creating a new vicious cycle of confidence for the wealthy. A new survey for the Spectrum Group shows the millionaire confidence in the economy hit a highest level in two years led by their bullishness on the economy and corporate earnings. The big question now is what what the next Gilded Age will look like, who will benefit, and how long will the market-fueled prosperity last? The population of millionaires in America is now above its 2007 high. According to Spectrum Group, the wealth research firm, there are about 9 million American households with investable assets of a million dollars or more. I'm going to repeat that, 9 million American millionaires today. Um, the final tally for 2012 is not yet released, but George Walper, president of Spectrum Group, said he expects 2012 and 2013 uh, to approach e or even match the all-time high of 9.2 million in 2007. I don't think we'll go much beyond the all-time high because real estate prices have not fully recovered, Walber said. He added that after tax rates for the wealthy were set in January, they had a lot more confidence in how to plan and move forward. So even though they were taxed heavier, they know their plan. See, this is a little side lesson here. You people that really think the wealthy give a shit about their tax rates and the tax rules from a standpoint of I don't want to pay are foolish. They don't care. They just need to know so that they can avoid paying. All this concept of taxing, see the wealthy people have accountants and attorneys and structuring services that you cannot afford. And it doesn't matter how you tax them, the code is written by them and therefore they will avoid the payment of the taxes anyway. They're not going to pay the taxes. That's what this says. In other words, you know, we just jacked up the taxes for wealthy Americans, but now they're more confident. Why? They know how to structure their system so they can avoid the... God, will people please learn this and stop buying into this dichotomy of bullshit that we're being sold? Um, the population of individual millionaires as opposed to households rebounded to an all-time high two years ago. According to Capgemini, there were 3.35 million millionaires in North America in 2011, up from 3.2 million in 2007. Their total wealth in 2011 is just shy of its 2000 peak of $11.7 trillion. So these are individuals, not families now we're talking about. So 9, 9 million American millionaire families, but 3.35 million of those are individuals with a combined asset value of $11.7 trillion. All right? So there's lots. I'm not going to go into the rest of the article. You can read it if you want to. But the basic premise is that we're back. 
They we're going to come back, we're going to come on strong, and the economy is going to grow from here because with the confidence restored, the money is going to begin to flow, and all of this quantitative easing and all of these bailouts and all this money that was pumped in the system is going to go from static to liquid and flow. And when it flows, baby, start the band, let's go. Now I'm going to tell you, I need to do a deeper long-term show on this entire phenomenon And to do it right, I need to go back four years ago or more when the economy was in free fall and I said not yet and I said there would be a false recovery. Those of you who have listened to me for a long time, you know I've waffled on this. I, I and I'll admit it. There were so many weird things going on that I kept going, I don't know if we can really have it anymore. But, I, but from the beginning, in my heart, in my gut, in my soul, in my analysis of this, is, of this I knew, I absolutely knew There was at least one more big boom before the final bust. Did they, did some of the exact words I used. They will load up the tables in the casinos one more time. And when everybody goes all in, that's when they'll take their money and exit permanently and destroy the last vestiges of the economy. I also said this. When everybody says it's over, when everybody starts to say the good times are back, When the band starts playing and everybody says happy days are here again, and we're not there yet, this is mainstream media telling you we're there, there'll be a lag before people accept it, and when everybody starts going and playing and saying, woohoo, we're back, and unemployment comes down, and remember me telling you QE3 Infinity would work, and how it would work, and what, remember all that, here it comes. I don't know if it's two years. I don't know if it's ten years. And it might be closer to ten than two at this point. There are so many dynamics that are about to unleash things in this country that it's conceivable that you could see an economic boom short term. And, and folks, six years is short term. In America, in a microwave generation, we think six years is a long time. Six years of boom is enough to set yourself up for real failure. If you're 40... And you experience six years of boom, it's just long enough for you to stuff all your money in that 401k and stock options and everything else and convince yourself you're going to retire early at 50 and watch it wiped out. Dot com, okay? Don't, see, we got to start thinking longer timelines and, and how short six years is or 10 years really is in the history of a 200 plus year old republic. Right? Six years into the republic, we weren't even really free yet. Because we weren't done fighting the American Revolution yet. The American Revolution took nine year, eight or nine years. I don't remember which. I think it's nine years. So six years into the foundation of the Republic, we weren't even liberated yet. It took decades more until we didn't have slavery anymore. It took century plus until we were the 50 states that we are now. Six years is that. Six years in a 200-year-old being... You're still crapping your pants and having your parents wipe your butt. Okay? Six years ain't that long, so don't get too excited about this. But it's coming. I told you it was coming. I am going to go back. I'm going to do a show on what this is going to look like because now it's not this article. It's all the indicators. It's all the things I've been seeing. It's all the restoration of confidence. It's all the restoration of wealth. It is the way the stock market's behaving. It is everything I said would happen happened, and now it's time. Let me tell you what this means for you. Work your ass off. Save your ass off. Invest contrary to the market. Invest in real assets. Watch, watch long term 
the value of hard assets increase, but watch it falter here and there. Every time it comes down, buy something. When the value of a really good quality used diesel truck that's going to last 50 years, if you take care of it, comes down, buy one. Right? I'm not saying that forever, but say the person that wants that. When, when silver, if silver went, somebody asked me yesterday, well, what if, what would you do if all these people just bought silver and it went to 20 bucks? I said, I would confidently tell them to buy more. I, and I would buy my, if silver went to 20 bucks tomorrow morning, I would be ecstatic. I would be buying it until it was just, I would have to be having another safe put in. You know, if it went down to seven bucks, Holy crap, I'd be hitting up every pawn shop out there for junk silver. I'd be going everywhere I could to get my hands on it. If you see hard assets take a beating in this, that's the opportunity. Because the hard asset has the underlying value, farmland, real estate, tools, food, agriculture. This is what China is investing in, just like I told you in my videos. If you haven't watched my videos yet on why QE3 will work, and when you hear work and you're like, no, it won't, understand, work is a relative term. Does it do what it's designed to do? And what's it really designed to do? And what's the end game? Do it with an open mind. But I think here it comes. Here it comes. I was so close to going, I need to exit everything. It's 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 the end. I was so close. I told you guys when I got there. No. No. Here it comes. Strike up the band. Happy days are here again. And in the end, more Americans are going to get hurt at the end of this next cycle than in the entire history of the Republic. Use it. Don't abuse it. And don't you get hurt in the end. But Uncle Jack's telling you, man, it's coming. With that, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
Shoot.